Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach, one of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. So well-being is a really hot topic at the moment, especially at work, and usually for the purpose of making sure we have a really engaged and sometimes fulfilled workforce so that we have less burnout, we have fewer illnesses, people stick around longer, and ultimately increasing productivity and contentment with your employment. Now, to that end, companies are now launching a whole range of programs on mindfulness and on meditation and on work planning. I mean, all sorts of things are happening. One of the questions we want to ask today is, do they work? And we should also ask, what should each of us be striving for? And is this really all about being happy at work? Is that really what the answer is? And how do we know if we have good emotional health or not? And obviously, what does this mean for leaders of teams? Because that is part of your remit these days to make sure people have good emotional health. Not that you control it, but that you create an environment for it. My guest today is Johan Menges. He's a professor of leadership at the University of Zurich and a lecturer at the University of Cambridge. And he's got some award-winning research that explores how leaders can successfully inspire people to pursue collective goals and to work together in ways that contribute to productivity, well-being, and happiness. He's been featured on TEDx Talks. There are two of them. And he's worked with a whole range of companies from British Telecom, Google, Jaguar, Land Rover, L'Oreal, Microsoft, um, Rolls-Royce, Save the Children, the World Bank, we could go on. He's also done a bunch of startup incubators like Plug and Play in Silicon Valley and the Venture Cafe Foundation in Boston. I could go on, but Johan, welcome to the show. Looking forward to your insights today. Hi there. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, I want to start at the top of this because I want to wind back a bit. You know, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, when I was standing in front of a group of executives in a corporation and we started talking about emotions, they would sort of laugh me out of the room. Like, you know, we're here for work, emotions, check the emotions. But today, it seems like we're talking a lot more about emotions. So why do these matter? And why are we talking about them now? Right. I think, uh, you know, that has multiple reasons. One of the most important ones is, of course, that actually, we've meanwhile discovered we cannot check our emotions out at the door. It turns out our emotions are with us everywhere. They're part of our brain, deeply uh, located inside it. And if we arrive at work, we cannot take that brain part out and just behave as if we hadn't had it. Uh, and so whether we like it or not, I mean, work is an emotional place. And and the big question is really um, whether we can use our emotions to get our work done well um, or whether these emotions come in our way. We cannot just sort of shut these emotions out or down. Uh, it's actually not possible. We've discovered that. And it's pretty clear, and executives are becoming clear about that too. Now, over the past two decades, scientists have also simultaneously uh, come up with a couple of really stunning discoveries that show that uh, positive emotions uh, really benefit us greatly. And positive emotions often precede uh, great performance. So when people see a positive, uh, they perform better. Uh, they're also more creative. Uh, they're less often absent. Uh, they're more motivated. 
the relationships at work actually flourish. They're better leaders, and even the customers are more happy uh, when employees are positive at work and experience positive emotions. Now, the stunning thing is, though, that the reality of work is very different. Uh, and in a recent study that I did with the Yale Center of Emotional Intelligence and the SAS Foundation, we asked 40,500 Americans from all 50 states across all industry, all occupations, all levels of income, how they feel at work. Um, and what we found across the nation is that, yes, the number of people say they're happy, but way too many say they're bored, stressed, frustrated, tired. So the truth is that while we know that positive emotions allow people to thrive and perform at work, we notice now, we can prove it, we've seen it in scientific studies, too many people at work still feel negative emotions most of the time, and they're just trying to shut down these emotions because these are annoying and you don't want to hear about them and you don't want to deal with them, and that, I think, is a problem. So is there a, do you have a percentage? Do you know how many people say that they're bored, frustrated, stressed, or tired, negative stuff at work most of the time? So we have a certain split whereby we ask people, how do you feel at work? And we just leave it open for them to reply. Mm-hmm. So a number of people say they're straightforward negative all of the time, five days a week. Uh, a number of people say that they're stressed for three or four days, uh, three to four days a week. And a number of people say, interestingly, they're also stressed, uh, but at the same time happy. And so our analysis is one for the first time whereby we can see that actually sometimes you know, it is that people suffer at work, and yet they suffer because they're working on something important, and that in turn makes them happy. The question that I have and that we as scientists have is, given this negative side effect of stress, could we remove that part and still be um, sure that people actually experience the happiness that they report for doing something meaningful? So because of this sort of slightly different way of tapping into emotions and giving people their own voice, Uh, We have a whole set of different statistics around it, and there is not just a single number that we can say, you know, people feel uh, to that percentage uh, that it's particularly emotional at any given point in time. All right. So recognize, fair enough, that some negative with more positive than negatives is what's going to lead to a sense of um, happiness or contentment or fulfillment at work. Uh, you know, that makes a lot of sense to me. And that a bit of stress, mm. the right level of stress for me, is an impetus to kind of push a bit harder. The problem is if it's too much stress, then it has all sorts of consequences, as you rightly pointed out. I have to say, in my experience, even when I talk to high potentials who are ostensibly in the right kind of jobs, getting the right kind of feedback, getting the right kind of visibility, they are frustrated, more frustrated mm. than not. And all you have to do is open that door and boy, it comes you know, rushing in at you just how frustrated people are. Any clue why there's so much stress at the moment? Um, yeah, I think one of the key reasons for why there's so much stress is that just there's just too much uh, work that people need to do and there's too little prioritization around that. It's a phenomenon that we've called the uh, the acceleration trap that companies you know, take on more than they can handle and that if they do so, they pass on the stress on their employees and what happens is that employees get overloaded, they can't see uh, you know, um, that they get the work done within their decent day, uh, they're struggling each and every day and because their effort is so dissipated across different tasks, they're also not getting a sense that they're making good progress with what they do. Um, this particular problem, the acceleration trap, is one that is taxing and that could be removed if companies 
um, where to focus more clearly uh, on what is really and crucially important to their business. The trouble for most leaders is that once they uh, are in superior upper roles in the business, they're trying to cover their back by just doing everything. Uh, yeah. instead of prioritizing effectively and really using the energy that people bring to work on the most important things. Yeah. Um, and this is one major cause of that stress, is that people do too many different things, many of which are not as important and thus not as meaningful and useful. I talked to someone this week to echo that one whose mm-hmm. manager says, okay, go do this, and a little bit more direction than everybody would like in terms of how to get it done. But all right, mm-hmm. fine, they get out there, get it done. And, you know, halfway through, the manager says, no, 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 that's not what I want. I want the polar opposite. And so then you're <laughs> reworking everything you've done. Right. And that's right. sort of back and forth. And it may be legitimate reasons from the manager. Boy, is that a frustrating environment to be in. Yes, most okay. definitely. At the same time, you know, I mean, it's it's to some extent something that's necessary if you seek for perfection uh, that you go back and forth. However, you got to keep in sight that what you're doing this for, the particular task, is really essential to the success of the business, to the success of your unit. If you're doing that type of back and forth for the tiny little things, then it's super stressful and wears people out. Yeah. Yeah, that's easier said than done for people who like to be perfectionists at any rate at the end of the day. But I also think a little explanation on why and not too much regularity of back and forth might help out a little bit. All right, so I want to come back to this notion that you started at the beginning that we have to learn how to use emotions to work well. What does that really look like, particularly from a leader point of view? How does a leader begin to use emotions in a good way? So you got to ask yourself, a couple of questions if you want to use emotions well. The first thing is um, you got to think of what are the goals that I have tried to achieve um, and what kind of feelings do I need to actually achieve those goals. Now, if we break that down into like a structure that will help people sort of go through this process of using emotions effectively, um, I've got a couple of questions that I can put out. The first thing that I wanted to say, though, is that really, I mean, we all have these emotions. That's what I said at the outset. But it is how we use them that makes that difference. And some of us manage to use our emotions to get us closer to our goals. And some of us have also the same type of emotions but get carried away from reaching our goals. So there is a difference between how we use emotions. And this is a difference that becomes particularly relevant for uh, for people in leadership positions. Um, Now, if we start with themselves as opposed to how they would apply that same thing to others, we can get there in a minute. But if we start with ourselves, then the the way that people that get emotions right uh, tend to think is the following. First, they ask themselves, so how do I feel? How do I feel right now? They try to find a word that describes um, the feeling like, you know, I'm angry or I'm worried or whatever it might be. I'm elated, I'm excited. Now, then they ask themselves in the second step, why do I feel the way that I do? Um, and that gets them, of course, to recognize the triggers of these emotions. And then third and crucially, they ask themselves, so does the way that I feel help me or hinder me on my part of achieving uh, that particular goal that I set for myself? Mm. Now, if, if the way that I feel right now helps me get there, then how can I sustain that feeling? And if it doesn't help me, then you have to ask yourself how you can change the way that you feel. So in trying to answer that question of how leaders need to take emotions seriously, we really have to get 
around a different way of thinking. We can't just set ourselves a goal and, and think, how do I get there? Uh, we have to set ourselves a goal and need to ask ourselves, how do I need to feel uh, to get there? Ah. Oh, I like that. Set a goal and ask, how do I need to feel? Wow. That's an interesting there. angle. Exactly. Yeah, because to get most there. people just ask, you know, what do I need to do to get there? And then they force themselves somehow through it and, you know, fight against yeah. their inner impulses and everything. And then they might get to the goal, but they're exhausted. And by the time that they get there, they can't even enjoy it. Right? And right. so oftentimes it really is about setting ourselves into the mood that fits with what we are trying to accomplish. And that makes accomplishing that just so much easier. Okay, so you said, your third question there, does the way I feel help or hinder my ability to achieve a goal? If it helps, we want to sustain it, and if it hinders, we want to change it. And in this last one, you set a goal and ask how I need to feel in order to get there. What if what I feel isn't helpful or isn't moving me in the right direction? How do I begin to change? So once you understand that the way that you feel isn't really helping you to get where you wish to go, then you've got to come to reckon that changing that feeling is your, is your task. And many people actually don't take that directly and seriously enough. They, they blame others. They complain about you know, their boss. They complain about you know, the situation, the lack of resources, whatever it is. So first step, if you're in that situation, is to say, okay, so how I feel does not help me. Well, let me take charge. I am the one who has these feelings, so I'm the one who can change those feelings. And if I am the one who can change those feelings, then I am actually in charge. And that by itself is a good feeling, first and foremost. And then you've got to think of, okay, so if we go back on that trajectory of questions I laid out, you know, what made me feel this way? Okay, so you find out perhaps that, you know, going to that meeting, you know, seeing that colleague always makes you angry and, you know, that doesn't help you achieve what you wish to accomplish. So then you have a couple of choices in order to um, actually deal with the situation. The first one is what we call uh, event selection. <laughs> and that simply means, you know, do you need to expose yourself to whatever gave you that feeling, right? Do you need to go to that meeting or could you just skip it? If you skipped it, you wouldn't even expose yourself to that meeting that makes you so angry. And so you don't have the anger, okay? Oftentimes, yeah. that's not realistic. People have to go, right? There is no choice. So you cannot select the event as is. Uh, in which case, the next second step is what we call um, event modification. So if I have to go, can I somehow tweak it in ways that would make it easier for me to, um, to go through it? Uh, for instance, if there's this you know, fellow worker that always gets in your way and is problematic and makes you so angry, then perhaps a good idea is that even though you have to go to the meeting, you might choose a seat uh, somewhere as far away from that person as possible. You can have a conversation prior to the meeting with a couple of others who go there. You go there collectively. You kind of set those stage in ways that will at least minimize the, uh, the exposure to that person. Now, that's also not always possible. Sometimes there's assigned seating or sometimes you just can't get out of the situation. You know, You have to deal with it as is. In this case, you still have something left that gives you control, and that's where you place your attention, right? What you think about in a given moment, where you look, and that kind of thing. So, you know, if, if there is this annoying colleague that you have to sit next with and that already sort of like does all of these things that make you angry, you might just, you know, when that person speaks, uh, might look out of the window, right? Or might just think 
to another place, think of what are you going to do on your next vacation or whatever it is. Just take the attention away from that person, from the, from, from the thing that gives you the emotion. And if you take the attention away, magically the emotion at least decreases. But then again, also that third way of attention allocation is not always possible. And then the final way that you can deal with this effectively um, is that uh, you think about the situation differently. I mean, why does that person make you so angry? Is that person such a problematic individual? Do they really want to fight you? Or might they have other issues? Or they're perhaps under pressure from their boss? Or they're perhaps having issues um, outside of work? Are you... Are you, are you somehow able to reframe or rephrase the situation that you're in in ways of seeing the person differently, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you see the person differently, if you see the situation differently, if you realize that actually the way that they behave is down to another reason, you can also be in a different emotional response. You'll feel differently towards them and the emotional world change. If none of these things... Uh, event selection, modification, attention allocation, or what we call reappraisal, the last thing. If none of these things works, uh, then you have the emotion, and then the old thing is to just get on with it, just deal with it, yeah. uh, essentially suppress it. Uh, we can do that. We can try to push our emotion down. But the trouble is, typically on a physiological level, uh, it gets stronger. If we mm-hmm. don't want to show our anger, if we try to suppress it, you know, our pulse gets even higher, our heartbeat increases, and so on, so we, we, we feel it even more strongly. Uh, it also leaks. Uh, typically, there's places where it shows up, you know, your face might become a little red or your fingers are nervously ticking on a table. Or something. So, so we cannot really effectively uh, hide our emotions, but it's one way to keep at least composure. Uh, in, in such situations, and then perhaps later deal with it. But the last thing that I said, this kind of like keeping, uh, you know, suppressing emotions, essentially, that's not very good. Science shows us that you suffer yeah. in multiple ways if you engage in that strategy. The previous four that I mentioned are, are much better in trying much to regulate your emotions and trying to get out of it. Okay. Now, often I will hear senior leaders give advice to a younger person that they're trying to develop or, you know, get more comfortable in more senior settings, all that good stuff. They Mm -hmm. will say, um, you need to learn to hide your emotions, meaning Mm -hmm. that the emotions shouldn't show on your face. Now, my Mm -hmm. belief is that that's physiologically impossible, but is that true? And what do you say to that sort of advice? Yeah, it's to some extent impossible because there is this phenomenon as we call leakage. What I just described is that, you know, when you are nervous, it'll show up somewhere. Uh, and when you find something super funny and you try to be very serious, you know, we'll, we'll find out. Um, but it's actually not everyone that finds out. And it takes some detection skills on the side of the observers to see that, you know, you have a certain emotion that you're trying to hide. And not everybody possesses those detection skills. In general, I have to say, though, that the advice is not entirely bad um, because, um, you know, as leaders, you are uh, in charge not just of your own emotions but also of the emotions of others. And you have to ask yourself the same questions that I laid out before, and that is that do the way that we collectively feel, do the way that the people that I work with feel, does that fit with the kind of goals that we try to accomplish? And if you feel a certain way that doesn't fit with these goals, it's not so good if you show that. 
because then other people might actually blend in with your emotions. As the leader, you're the role model. You're the one who mimics the emotion that is suitable and desired in a given situation. And so people might pick up, you know, you're worried that whatever the merger and acquisition is not going in the right direction or you're concerned that, you know, the project is not being delivered in time. If you feel that articulating that concern might actually do the trick of making people work harder, it's great. If you feel that articulating that concern would uh, perhaps unsettle people and would perhaps make, you know, the best people quit your team because they're worried that they might be on a sinking ship, then I guess, you know, the advice of trying to not necessarily conceal, I mean, show that is, is not a bad one. Um, ultimately, what we need our emotions to do is to help us uh, get along and get ahead in life, uh, succeed. And if we feel the way, you know, in a way that doesn't fit with that, as I said, you know, we get regulated or we get to somehow, if we cannot regulate it, hide it for the time being. <laughs> All right. So regulated is best, and we talked about that in the four ways, the event selection, event modification, the attention, the focus of attention, and then the reappraisal. We'll think about the situation differently. Okay, so now I forgot where I was. I wanted to go with this one. Well, we can, I will we can just go on to the next one. Okay. Yes, go ahead, Jan. <laughs> well, we can, you know, I mean, no. One one question that, that leaders can ask themselves if we're talking of leaders, uh, you know, in the in the context of this of this show, it is important to discuss how leaders can apply this kind of stuff. Uh, I mean, leaders are often concerned with uh, these these goals that they try to achieve uh, individually uh, for their own career benefit, for you know, achieving something meaningful, but also collectively with others. Um, and one thing that I always do in my workshops and my classes with executives is that I that I ask them. Um, to, to tell me um, what happens at work if they feel positive emotions. Uh, mm-hmm. What happens to their behavior and their performance um, if they feel these positive emotions? And, you know, consistently across, you know, whoever I work with, um, I get replies uh, such as, you know, I work harder, I'm more confident, I take more risk, I stay on longer, I do all sorts of positive things, right? Uh, and... Then I ask them, so if that's true for you, if positive emotions do all of these good things for you, well, let's assume that that would be true for your subordinates, for your followers, for the people in your business that you try to influence as a leader. Uh, Then if you wish your people to work harder, to be more innovative, to stay on longer, to sort of like give their extra uh, best, what do you actually need to do? And soon they realize that actually their task is thus to create a work environment in which people can experience these positive emotions and that it is necessary for them to think from this emotion angle, not just from the behavioral angle by which they force things through, to create a work environment in which what they wish to happen actually does happen, not because they command it, but because people feel it. And I think this is one of the uh, important tasks of leaders, that they need to realize that what holds true for themselves with respect to the reactions to positive emotions holds true for so many others. And that does, as a core part of their job, they need to shape the work environment in ways that facilitates these positive emotions. And many leaders are coming to reckon that, I think. Uh, a number of mm-hmm. businesses are creating environments that are more conducive to the experience of positive emotions. Um, and those who do, I think, are at a competitive advantage at this point in time. Okay. 
So is it that everybody on the team needs to feel equally the same positive feelings or are there differences with people on the team that I need to somehow be aware? Some need more, some need less. How do you think about that? Yes. So the question uh, taps into the differences of team members. And one thing that we know from psychology and from research and organizational behavior is that, of course, the same event does not necessarily trigger the same emotion in everyone. Um, And so when I do this work with leaders that I ask them to say um, what their reaction to positive emotions is, I always ask them also, so what is it that triggers these positive emotions in you? And they write things down. Uh, Then, you know, we apply that logic to their um, subordinates and followers. And then I say, look, just write down your three most important subordinates. Right? Just write down their name. And now tell me, what is it in them that triggers positive emotions? And sometimes I also ask what triggers negative emotions. And here, surprisingly, you know, leaders that are in my workshops, in my classroom, they're often scratching their head. I think, I never asked myself that question. And they soon find out that actually what makes each and every of their employees happy or, uh, you know, experience positive emotions is different. And so to take, you know, for, for like a classic example, a bit stereotypical, but classic example, you know, if you have an extrovert on your team, they love to go out for a beer after work and, you know, hang out with all sorts of people and, you know, chat and so on. But if you have an introvert, they would rather go just for dinner with you uh, and have a deep conversation. Um, and so the kind of events that you can create as a leader, let's all go out together or I'll give you a little bit of personal attention will ultimately depend on who the people in your team are and what it is that makes them individually happy. So a good thing for leaders to do is to write down who are the most important people in my business. You can extend that even to your own leaders who are higher up in the hierarchy. Write down their names. Write down what is it that makes them happy. What is it that gives them positive emotions? And then do that. And you'll see your relationships will increase. Uh, the people's performance uh, will increase, their innovation and capability will increase, they're going to be more committed, they're going to be more motivated and less often absent if you do these things. Uh, it's a simple task, everybody can do it, and I have seen that it works uh, and it can work magic. I, yeah, I believe that one. Absolutely, totally believe that one. And I don't think it takes a scientist to figure out or an assessment to figure out what that is. I think if you ask, people can tell you. Yeah. Okay, I have to ask you one last question before we take a break, which I hope is not going to be a long-winded thing. But, you know, people always mm-hmm. ask me, can you read other people's emotions? So you said emotions leak. And if I'm very good, I can detect it. But how good are we really at reading emotions? Uh, well, we differ. I mean, there is um, <clears throat> what we call uh, emotional recognition ability. That's a scientific term. It means the ability to be able to tell how others feel. And people vary greatly uh, with respect to emotional recognition ability. Uh, in one of the studies that, that we have done um, a couple of years back, 142 employees paired up with their peers and supervisors, uh, we actually measured this emotional recognition ability. We saw that you know, some people are very good at it, some people are very bad at it. But what we also discovered is that those people who are really good at it, they get a much higher salary. And so there is an economic benefit in actually being able to recognize other people's emotions, even if you take out all sorts of other predictors for income, such as hierarchy level, occupation, intelligence, etc. This ability to be able to tell how others feel is valuable and it's rewarding in business 
And there are ways to learn it, and if you invest in it, you'll probably reap the benefit on a monetary end uh, as well. Um, so, yes, we can do it. People differ on it. And if you're not so good at it, then there's opportunities for trainings, opportunities for reading books on that, opportunities to get better at it. And once you're better at it, it benefits you. All right. So one tip on how do we get better at it? The one tip would be to basically um, try to attend to the face and see in the face what's going on and how can I match that to how people feel. I would do this personally with the people that you trust and that you are your friends, but you have friends that you actually know how they feel and that you have some confidence in detecting it. And then my exercise recommendation is just ask them, are you feeling sad right now? Are you feeling happy? Are you feeling frustrated? Are you feeling perhaps melancholic? an interesting mix between positive and negative. But try to pin down a word to some of these feelings that you witness in others and get feedback. If, they're, you know, if, if you're right, you can then just learn from that and you become better at it and you can apply it elsewhere in a friend, not, not a friendly circle, but you know, a professional circle or some other place in business where you know, you're less likely to be able to ask these kind of things. Right, but right, that's right. my little advice with respect to just getting better at it. But of course, you know, there are great books on that. Um, you know, if you look up emotional recognition, emotional agility, these kind of things, uh, you'll find stuff that you can do. There's online tests that you can take. There's online uh, training modules that you can take. So um, there's many different ways. My little advice is go try to do it with the people that you like and that you can trust. Uh, detect the feelings, get reassurance from detecting it right, and then continue doing it elsewhere. All right. So the word, if you want to look for this, is emotional recognition. And if you tune into our Twitter feed at Ask Wanda, I'll try to give you one of those resources um, from an online search myself. Fabulous. Johan, fabulous, fabulous discussion. So we're going to take a break. My guest today is Johan Menges. He's a professor of leadership at the University of Zurich and a lecturer at University of Cambridge. And as you can tell, he has a lot of award-winning research about how we inspire people to achieve collective goals and to work in ways that contribute to productivity, well-being, and happiness. When we come back, I want to talk about emotional health. How do we know if we have good emotional health or not? What are the techniques and tactics for improving emotional health? What are companies doing? Is it working and is it not working? We'll be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. If you are interested in the business of rental equipment, be sure to check out Rental Equip Talk Radio with host Donald Charbonnet. We talk to some of the top names in the rental industry, as well as cover topics that include safety, training, fleet management, legal issues, and more. We'll also cover the history and future of the rental equipment industry. Rental Equip Talk Radio can be heard live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Klass. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. 
These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Business Channel, and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Leading outside of your comfort zone is a delicate balance. You need new skills and new ways of working. To reach the program today, send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. That's wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. I'm with Johan Menges. He's a professor of leadership at the University of Zurich and a lecturer at the University of Cambridge and a specialist in how we inspire people to pursue collective goals and work in really productive ways. And what I want to focus on now is this whole notion of emotional health. We've just spent the last time talking about why emotions are so important, how we begin to think about emotions, how we can read those emotions, um, and how you can manage your own emotions a bit. So four techniques for doing that. But now I want to talk about emotional health because this is that sense of well-being, I think. So, Johan, first, what does emotional health look like? And is this the same as happiness? Um, yes, I think, you know, happiness, happiness is great. Uh, the, the, the trouble with happiness is that I think it's, it's such a weak term uh, that the more we search for it, the less likely uh, we are actually able to find it. Uh, you know, what, what does happy really mean? The um, better question I think that people need to ask themselves is, how do I wish to feel specifically? Uh, how do, what kind of emotion do I wish to have? And then the answer to your question would be, if I get to feel how I truly wish to feel, uh, if the reality matches my hopes, uh, then that's what I would call uh, emotional health, actually. Uh, that you, have, you are in an environment where you feel the way that you wish to feel. Um, I'll give you an example, perhaps, um, yeah, to, to illustrate that. Um, I mean, you know, p- people mostly say, when I ask them, and we ask them in our research, of course, you know, how do you wish to feel at work? They say, happy. And so I ask, okay, so tell me what do you mean when you say happy? And then all of a sudden it becomes more nuanced, right? Some people wish to feel um, appreciated and respected. Uh, some people wish to feel proud, accomplished, admired. Some people want to just feel calm, easygoing, relaxed. Others want to feel fulfilled, needed. Others want to feel energetic, enthusiastic, inspired. Um, others want to feel safe, secure, confident. You know, I could go on. There's so many different uh, shades to our positive emotional life that when we say happy, it's not useful. When we say more specifically, I want to feel respected at work or I want to feel calm, relaxed at work or I want to feel safe, that can tell us um, what we really crave for at work. 
And then if you wish to feel safe and secure in your job, if that's important to you, if that's what you seek out, if that's what matters in your life, and you are in a job in a company that provides you with security, job security, safety, a feeling that you know, uh, you'll be taken care of, and I think that's what we can consider uh, an emotionally healthy environment. If you are someone who is, just take another completely different and extreme example, if you're someone who's seeking out um, awe, you know, experiences of amazement, of fascination, right? You might not care so much about job security or all of that stuff. You might just seek out something that inspires you so much that you're in this uh, feeling of fascination. Oh, you might just go for like a super risky job as a documentary film or going out somewhere into the mountains, you know, jeopardizing all sense of safety <laughs> um, mm-hmm. for the benefit of experiencing these emotions. And I would call that that would then for you be an emotionally healthy environment because you get to feel what you really wish to feel in your life. And so I think in answering your question of what emotional health is, it's a match between how we wish to feel and how we actually get to feel at work. So this is why it's important then as a leader to come back to what is it that makes people feel happy, whatever that is for them, at work. Mm-hmm. That was your That's question for right. the last one. That's why. Okay. All right. I get that. Right. All right. Is there, um, you know, so is there a way to assess this? Can we measure this? Yeah, so we're currently, I mean, this is ongoing research and we're in the phase of writing it all up. Um, I think we'll have a measurement very soon where we'll try to um, ask people uh, a lot of these positive emotions and make them prioritize those emotions and then see what actually matches with it. Uh, mm-hmm. What it means for leaders is that if they think, you know, I am, you know, I, I need to inspire and energize my people and I need to sort of go all in giving my full emotion and you might have people in your team that just wish to feel fulfilled and meaningful, less high-intensity emotion stuff. You might actually lose them if you're sort of like the super energetic mm-hmm. person. Mm-hmm. However, if you have someone who needs that, then they will feel motivated. And so for leaders, I think, it is important to accept that within any team and within any business, there needs to be emotional diversity. Uh, emotional diversity, such that some people feel, you know, more energetic, others feel more relaxed, some people feel more uh, focused, others feel more perhaps um, uh, in need of being uh, thanked and, um, you know, others or whatever, interest and curious, you can name all sorts of emotions. There is this emotional diversity in businesses, and it's a richness. And the trouble with most of these happiness initiatives that we see today, the trouble with most of the well-being initiatives is that they follow a prescriptive approach whereby they you know, say a certain type of activity, certain offerings are here to make you happy. When the match between what they offer and what employees need is often not there. And if you put people through these happiness programs and prescribe that they better be happy, smiling at work all the time, what you're creating is misery. Uh, because people want to feel the way they wish to feel, but not the way that they're told to feel. And um, I think businesses that have emphasized the, uh, happiness too much, uh, homogeneity around happiness, just be happy, whatever it is, it is, what we need to see in your face, they have created environments in which people are now leaving and escaping those environments because uh, it's a utopia that is impossible to accomplish. Yeah. That 
explain something to me? You know, lots of, um, well, almost everybody does engagement surveys, and you'll always get these amorphous questions that come back as a leader or leadership team that says uh, people aren't fulfilled and they're not content or they don't feel connected or some ambiguous word like that that's often hard to digress. And so one of the, you know, kind of constant things I hear leaders say is, right, we're going to have a department-wide family picnic so that everybody mm-hmm. can feel happy and loved and appreciated. And obviously, that will have maybe some bump in the numbers if you're doing the survey tomorrow, but it doesn't have the effect you would expect. And part of that, it strikes me now, is what we're doing is not allowing for the emotional diversity, what it is that one person needs versus what somebody else needs to fill all those good things is different. Right. And that's the key insight that we're offering with our research is that there is such difference and that we need to acknowledge that difference. We've become better at acknowledging diversity in general on lots of characteristics, but we are really bad at acknowledging diversity with respect to feeling. Everybody needs to be happy all the time, smiling, you know, through all of this stuff. And yet, you know, some people would do their best work if they're just concentrated, focused on the task and, you know, pursue it with the serenity that gives them the best opportunity to accomplish it within a good uh, time span, right? And so I think, we, yeah, there is a need for that diversity to be acknowledged and that once you create vehicles to allow for the diversity in businesses, uh, that actually the pressure of people to always show their positive side will decrease and productivity and innovation will actually increase. Um, currently, we have the one-size-fits-all kind of programs whereby, you know, you get like whatever, um, you know, meditation training or mindfulness sessions or yoga classes or that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. And um, that's great for those who like that kind of activities, but it leaves out a lot of others. And if we really wish to uh, create a better environment, an emotionally healthy environment at work, uh, we need to go into the root cause. And that's the way that work is designed, work is considered, how we do things. And a family picnic is great for those people who love it, for all the extroverts who like to hang yeah. out yeah. with all of yeah. their colleagues and meet everyone. Uh, but it really doesn't really change the way that work is done on Monday when you return. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and after all, you know, work is the eight hours that we spend each day or even more uh, at work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And we need to so work itself stuff. Have you seen examples of companies that are really embracing this notion of the emotional diversity and what are they doing that's creating emotional health? So we're so we're at the forefront of that discovery of understanding that there is this difference in the way that people feel. The best that I've seen in, in companies is just that they offer a wide diversity of things that you could do to fulfill your emotional needs. Uh, they respect that, for instance, someone who might, feel, might want to feel calm might benefit from the yoga class, but someone who wants to feel uh, they're respected and valued and appreciated uh, might actually be better off spending lunchtime coaching a colleague who then says, thank you, I benefited hugely from your input. Right? The person would never really benefit from going to a yoga class, but they benefit greatly from doing what they wish to do over, over, over lunchtime, for instance. So the businesses that, that, that take up this approach, they, they, they can be recognized by the wide variety of activities that they offer for people uh, to experience the emotions that they wish to experience. 
And at the same time, they also reconfigure the work environment in ways that is uh, more appealing and more uh, permissive to this um, dimensional diversity aspect. But uh, let's be honest about this. I mean, this is all emerging research. Uh, it is research that we're working on as we speak. It's not uh, in the public domain yet as a written manuscript. And, of course, this is brand new. And uh, the businesses that we work with, they're uh, you know, trialing it out, and we'll see how well it will work. But I think in the context of what we've seen as initial early results, it proves to be the better um, program than the um, planned this happiness program or well-being program that's rolled out uh, across the country in most, in, most, uh, in most companies these days. Right. It's an important concept, and it's one I think companies who are rolling out these programs and who are worried about the emotional health and well-being of their employees can at least start to take a look at. And if nothing else, it sounds to me like you could go and ask employees, what kind of emotions would you like to feel and what kind of activities would give you opportunities to feel those emotions? And then just increase your variety. Sounds like a simple first step until we've got some science around what's really effective or ineffective. I want to turn for a moment. Uh, one of the topics that I care deeply about is this notion of creating an inclusive culture. But like a lot of words that we talk about in leadership, what we mean by inclusive is, again, kind of ambiguous. So I'm going to turn it into an emotion because yeah, as an individual, <laughs> I either feel included or I don't feel included. And it's really not what somebody, it is part of what somebody did or didn't do. But at the end of the day, it's how I feel. Now, what do you say about that? And how's emotional health influence this? Yes, and I couldn't more agree. I mean, uh, from my perspective, inclusion is a key construct. It's hugely important in the uh, business world. And it makes a huge difference to the bottom line. The trouble is that inclusion is so difficult to measure, and the way that we should measure it, the way that it should be assessed, is just as a feeling, is that I am feeling included, and if I do, positive things actually will follow. Now, what allows me to be included is to be who I am, right? It's not that I need to adjust and adapt according to the expectations that all others place on me, but I bring to the table what's unique about me, and because of all of that, I'm included. And I would extend that building on the discussion that we've just had to how I feel is accepted at this table. I don't have mm. to fake it. I don't have to show emotions that I don't experience. I'm just accepted. If I'm more the calm person that just doesn't want to be super enthusiastic and excited, I'm still included at the table of the others who are like, um, like sparkling with emotion, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I actually appreciate that difference in how we uh, convey ourselves from an emotional angle. I think it opens up a door for being included as a full human being uh, and for allowing people to um, then, as a result of feeling included, uh, to speak up and speak their mind. And likely the people who, you know, for instance, appreciate calmness have different yeah. thoughts around what customers and clients and so on need than those who you know, seek out uh, adventure and wish to be inspired and excited. Johan, you have just solved a mystery for me that I'm going to be pondering about all day and all weekend and probably next week. So if I'm a member of a minority group and I have a unique set of experiences, say, in my upbringing or my family structure in my community in which I live day in and day out, some people 
want others to understand what that experience is and to respect it and value it and hear stories about it. And others prefer to keep it a bit private. Not that they want to hide it, but that it's my personal experience. And I don't want to have to run around telling everybody about this. It's just me. It's just part of me. And so, you know, how do you accommodate, what, how do you attack this thing of what it means for me to feel included when, in fact, I am different than the majority of the people sitting around this table in some way, minority gender being just two of the ways. But you just said something really, really important, that the acid test at the end of the day is whether or not my feelings are accepted around this table. My feelings that I'm heard this time and not heard another time. My feelings that I am different or I am not different. My feelings that, you know, I want a different responsibility. All the kind of feelings we have around that table. It's the diversity of feelings that have to be accepted to create inclusion. Yes, indeed. That is, maybe it should have been blindingly obvious, but strikes me as relatively profound. And in which case, your measures of what creates for um, emotional health start to become a really powerful, powerful thing. Yes, um, I hope so. I hope so, too, because this is an issue we really need to chase. It's hugely important. Okay, let's talk for a minute about engagement um, or fulfillment. You can pick either one you want. Engagement is the more popular word because a lot of people are talking about it. But Aaron Hurst and Nicole Resch, for example, are starting now focus instead on engagement but on fulfillment, that feeling fulfilled by the work I do. How do you think this is all related to emotional health? So I think maybe beginning with fulfillment, you know, fulfillment is a feeling. And some people wish to feel fulfilled. Others can't be bothered. I, you know, others just, you know, I don't. Whether I do something meaningful or not, I don't care. As long as I get the money to buy myself whatever I wish to buy, right? I mean, uh, it is really a question of variety there. And with each of these constructs, it's typically that it comes from a certain angle, reflecting a certain viewpoint of the world, thinking that you found the construct that would, you know, sort of make everyone else happy, I would guess, <laughs> you know, by fulfillment, right? But it's only... You know, a couple of people wish to feel fulfilled, and for them it's great if they can get it, but others are not. Uh, and others seek out other things. And I think we got to expect, accept that and, and, and live with it and also benefit from it because it offers this diversity that we've just been discussing. Uh, when it comes to engagement, engagement is, of course, um, going a little bit beyond fulfillment in the sense that it's actually having a behavioral component, right? I'm actually sort of like leaning in and working towards uh, giving my best at, um, at my workplace. And engagement is something that's been around for many years. It's been measured in various ways. And typically, my experience in businesses is that when you bring up the term engagement, everybody wants to have it, right? I want to have an yeah. engaged workforce. Well, who wouldn't want that? Um, now, we did our, a study just, just very recently, actually, uh, 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 one or two years ago, with, uh, with over 1,000 employees, again, in the... Uh, U.S. from uh, multiple different states, you know, it was a representative sample, and we checked on who are the people who are engaged, uh, and we found that, you know, there's a sizable number of people who are engaged. We also looked at the polar opposite, this is burnout, right? Who are the people who are burned out? Uh, and yes, there are some that are burned out. Now, in our thinking previously, 
and in most of the thinking of the business leaders that I work with, it is that you either or. But in our study, we applied a very uh, new profiling technique that allowed us to match up these different states and understand how people really feel. It turns out that there is a sizable number of people who actually say that they're highly engaged and at the same time, they experience strong signs of burnout. In fact, out of three highly engaged people in our study, one showed strong signs of burnout. That means when you have a highly engaged workforce, you're also at risk that that very workforce might burn out because they're right. giving their best, they're doing everything, and that's oftentimes not sustainable unless you take good care of these employees. Um, and it is the highly engaged and highly burnout people that in our study show strongest intent to leave the company. Right? The people who actually do have burnout or, or just like are at brink of burnout, are emotionally exhausted, they typically stay. They're so tired, they can't even uh, right. bother to look for a new job, right? They stick around. But it's the people who are engaged and burnout that quit the business. And these people, of course, leaders should and wish to, should wish to keep. Right? These are good people. They're engaged right. people. But if you constantly squeeze them to give more than they can uh, offer, then they burn out. And then, you know, if there is some energy left, if there's some engagement left, they, they use it to find a better job that doesn't, uh, you know, exhaust them as much. So I think engagement is a good, is a good thing, but we've got to handle it carefully, preventing that those who are engaged burn out over time. Okay. It's interesting. Teresa Wilborn um, at the University of Michigan has argued for ages that engagement is also an emotionally diverse, she didn't use that word, but that she says some people need to be highly engaged to be excited and some need moderate engagement to be excited. And so she does yeah. this, you know, sort of emotional pulse, if you will, and they do want everybody to be 100% engaged because that just doesn't work. And maybe your salespeople need to be 90% engaged, but maybe your engineers need to be 50% engaged. That's optimal for them. And so, again, we're coming back to this notion of accepting and respecting the diversity of feelings that people have in the workplace. Okay. Yeah, right. this is so important. It, Johan, I don't think there's anything else that summarizes our conversation any better than that. Emotional health is about a diversity of feelings and that what I expect to feel is what I have the opportunity to feel as a chance to have to achieve my goals. So, Johan, thank you. It's been a fabulous show today. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. Thank you. All right, thank you. So, Johan Mingus, Professor of Leadership at the University of Zurich and lecturer at the University of Cambridge. And join us next week for another episode in How to Get Out of Your Comfort Zone. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week. 